Yeah, Lord, I just pray that you speak this evening. I pray that uh, we have open hearts and open minds. And uh, Lord, I thank you that it's through the foolishness of preaching, Lord, that you can reveal your Son and your Spirit to us. Lord, that you can change hearts. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here to change hearts. God, I thank you that not many of us were wise by human standards, and yet you chose us. Lord, and I just pray this evening, God, that you would just speak through me. I just pray that through the foolishness of what are in my notes, that you would do something in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you one more time. How is everyone doing this evening? <laughs> A bit better? <laughs> oh, my goodness me. You know, yesterday I was spending some time uh, prepping, and this morning I was spending some time prepping, and I thought I had everything nailed down, and then I picked up my guitar, and then as I started to play my guitar, I started to sing the song, um, New Wine which is make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, for the kingdom is here. And as I was starting to do that, I just could sense just like the raw emotion of God welling up inside of me. And I redid my notes, and I do not have a long sermon, but I just trust that God will encourage you through what I have to say. But if you're anything like me, then you know that something takes place in isolation, in isolation, everything is magnified. Has anyone noticed that? The things like the issues in your relationships or the tensions in your life or the things that are not quite right, we, we're working with less, and so everything gets more airtime. Does anyone notice that? And it's because we keep looking at the same things over and over but when I was thinking about this reality in our lives, when I look at Scripture, I realize that the church actually was designed to thrive in crisis. And if the church as we know it is not thriving in crisis, then we have to assume that it's in crisis that God is highlighting things that he wants to address in his church and change in his church. There's this story that takes place in Acts 2, and we know it so well. You know, Jesus has just done this divine um, death and resurrection. He has just ascended into heaven, and he has told his disciples that before you go out and proclaim the message, you've already got the message, but before you do that, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. And we know the story is that the disciples are gathered together in an upper room and they're praying and what happens is over the course of many days something like tongues of fire come on them and they experience something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's a convenient time because if it happened just a few weeks before when it, that it did happen, the situation might have not been so right for a harvest. Because what happens is, tongues ascend on them like fire. They go out from this place and they're speaking in languages that they don't know. And yet people are gathered from all over Judea in different tribes and different tongues. And they can hear these disciples declaring the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in their native tongue. 
How many imagine standing there and seeing this and wondering what on earth is going on here? Right? And yet, amidst this amazing, amazing situation, other people are skeptical and saying, oh, they're just drunk. But what I just had a sense God wanted to highlight to us as a church is that he is wanting to pour new wine into a new wineskin. See, this is what happens. Peter addresses the crowd after they're saying, oh, like, who are these guys? Like, you know, what are you saying? And you're, you're, are you drunk? What's going on? And Peter stands up in boldness, and he says this in verse 14 of Acts 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Or Joel, I met a Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And the prophecy goes on. But what's happening here is we are experiencing a Peter that has just experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Peter that stood with Jesus in a room of disciples and said, you will never die. I will never let you die. I will defend you to the death. And Jesus says to him, before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me. And we know what happens. Do you know that man? No, I don't know. I don't know who he is. And so something happens in the area of boldness in, in, in um, Peter's life when he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He comes out in boldness and he just begins to declare what's going on here. But you know, it wasn't a one and done deal. Who here has read the book of Galatians? You know, this same Peter that had amazing boldness in front of a whole bunch of random people from different parts of Judea is faced with the same man-pleasing issue in the book of Galatians. Because what happens is, he knows that Jesus has paid the price. He knows that there's amazing things that God has made available and that now there's no differentiation between if you're in or are you out, are you a Jew, are you a Greek, are you a heathen, what are you? Because he understands that the gospel is made available to everyone. But in a moment of pressure, this same Holy Spirit baptized Peter gets nervous around religious people. And do you know what he does? he slowly just starts to go back to his own people. And Paul has to come in and address him and basically call him back to the greatness of the gospel. And it just reminded me that God, just because some of us are in this room and we have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, some of us are in this room and we are royally freaked out about what that means. Some of us are here and we are totally unfamiliar. And some of us have just lost touch with what God had once done in our lives. But you know what is taking place in our world? I don't know if if you've picked up on this. But 
over this, over this year, God has taken something that's going on in our world and in our culture, and he's highlighting things in our church, Have you, in, our, in, our, in the church as a whole. It's like superstar Christianity is no longer as available. You know, you could go in, you could walk into many big churches all over the states, all over Canada, and you walk in, you can slip in the back door, you can sit in a dark seat, and you, you can look at a well-lit stage with a really good band and a really good speaker with three key points, and you could, you know, do the high fives and the smiles and maybe, you know, do a business deal in the back on your way out, and it's like, cool, everything is cool. But you know what's happened? God has used what's going on in our world to shake the church. And he's shaking it because the things that have taken place in the church are maybe not designed to be in the church. I'm not saying we can't gather in big groups. That's not the point of what I'm saying. The point of what I'm saying is there is something lacking in authenticity and integrity and vulnerability in the church that God is wanting to rekindle in his people. There's something about the hunger for what God is going to do, what God will do, how God will speak. And he's wanting to move in our midst. And do you know how he's doing it? A little tactic called divide and conquer. It's not so easy to slip in here and slip out anymore, is it? It's not. And that's wonderful. Because let me just say this, God has your number. You are here for a very specific reason. If you have struggled going through the motions in Christianity, if you've struggled being in touch with your faith, with enjoying a live, um, action-filled, passion-filled relationship with Jesus, then God wants to give that to you. The Bible tells us that when Jesus says he, he is a good father, and he says he gives good gifts, And some of us have held, held our faith at arm's length. We've, we've kept it out there. We've, we've kept this idea of engaging the Holy Spirit. I don't want that. I want a neat and tidy Christianity. I want to come. I want to get my fill. I want to do my thing. I want to give my offering. No strings attached. And God is reminding us that he has called us to be a vital part of a body. Superstar Christianity is what God is killing. And what he's reinstating is the priesthood of all believers. But I love Mike's analogy. He says, if you have a cut down a tree, would you rather do it with a handsaw or with a chainsaw? Depends who you are, right? Some of the guys are like, handsaw. Chainsaw. Why? Because there's power. 1 Peter 2 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. 
And the priesthood of all, be- all believers is revealed in Exodus 13. Because what happens is, we know the story about the Israelites being led out of Egypt and into the promised land. But there's this beautiful picture that takes place. Because Moses was the man that God called to lead the people. But in Exodus 13, we see this picture where God establishes himself as a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved, the people moved. Some of us are sitting in this room and we've become so accustomed to spectator Christianity. And I don't blame you because churches look a certain way these days and it's getting shaken up. Right? We're trained. We're, we're kind of trained to see this big thing, bright, bright happening thing at the front and to be sitting in the dark and all these things. And now all of a sudden, look, we're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. You're spa- we're spaced out in here. We're, we're equally far from each other. It's a little bit brighter. And all of a sudden, for me, it's like, God, what are you highlighting in this? But when the cloud moved, the people moved. Do you know why? Because while the people were following Moses as, as their leader, they could also see the cloud and they could see the pillar of fire. And when that thing moved, they knew it was time to move. Some of us have lived on the revelation of the leader, of the pastor. And God is saying, I want you to follow me like they followed the cloud. Three words I got. God is shaking, God is breaking, and he's reinstating. He's shaking us to wake us up to his design. You know, when I, when I was, on Saturday mornings when I was growing up in my house, my dad was so irritating. He would, he would come in the morning and he would do something called quickies in the chest, okay? So it's basically these fast punches like this. So he'd jump on our bed and he'd just start doing this into our chest. And if you were the first one, you're done. You just, you're instantly like, you know, screaming and yelling and you're, you're freaking out and everyone else can hear it's happening is like, oh shoot, I'm next. Like, you know, this is inevitable and it's irritating and he's waking us up. But that's what's happening. It's not always comfortable when God wakes us up. It's not. It can feel like quickies in the chest. But it's God's way of saying it's time to wake up and it's time to rise up. And he's breaking false mindsets and ruts. Who here has felt like they've fallen in a rut? Who here is a liar? (laughs) Am I the only one? Has anyone else had moments of being in a rut this year, right? It's a little hard. It's a little hard. Why? You think about it. It's like, how long does it take to make a habit? Some say 20 days, 30 days, some say 60. You know, someone like a Carolyn Leaf who's a scientist, and she'll say it's exactly 66 days. Well, guess what? We've all been making new habits amidst a coronavirus for much longer than 66 days. And not all of us are particularly happy with the habits we've fallen in. But God is wanting to reinstate his church 
because he hasn't called us to be quiet and asleep. He's called us to be a place of his power and his presence. Just when we're getting a little too comfortable hiding in a big crowd, God sends the church out of the four walls. Maybe you're someone who's like, you know, you go through a season where it's like, man, everything has changed. Everything has changed. And all of a sudden we feel difficult to actually hear the voice of God, right? That happens. Or it's like, is God putting me through a dry time? Or what's going on here? All these things. Listen to this in John 12. Jesus is predicting his death, and and he's basically in the presence of a whole bunch of people. And it says this in verse 27. He's Jesus praying out loud. He says, he's speaking out loud. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. That would be pretty amazing to be in that crowd and to hear that, wouldn't it? But listen, listen what happens here in verse 29. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. And others said an angel had spoken to him. So we have a whole crowd of people standing in the presence of Jesus, and God the Father speaks from heaven, and it seems to me like there's three different interpretations of what happened. We have the writer who says the Father spoke from heaven. We have other speculators saying it was an angel, and we have other people saying It was just thunder. Can I say, if you're in a season where you don't think that God is speaking to you, maybe he is speaking to you, just maybe his language has changed. It's like, I just got to have the worship on just right, and then I got to have that light on, and then I got to be sitting in my car in this one place, and then God speaks to me. Eh, We all do it. Got to have that latte with this and that. He is wanting us to be solely reliant on him. What's interesting is that in a time of great turmoil, Jesus saying to his disciples, I am leaving, you know, this is it for me, but it is good for you that I go away because the comforter will come. The Holy Spirit will come. In Mark 2, Jesus is questioned about some fasting traditions. John's disciples and Pharisees like, we're doing all this fasting stuff, why aren't you? And he goes into this thing about the bridegroom and, and you know, like, why would you fast when you're with the bridegroom, but there will be a time to do it, etc., etc. But then he goes into verse 21 and says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I just have a sense that God is wanting to, to give us new and to renew our wineskin. How many here are actually hungry for God? 
How many here are tired and thirsty and hungry for God? It's okay to be that way, right? And the truth is, Jesus is revealing something to us in this passage that we need to take seriously. You know, you know, you know the story of a wineskin. A wineskin was basically made out of, out of animal skin. And what would happen is they would fill it with, with wine, and the wine had to sit in there and ferment, right? It was, there was gases in there that would build up, and it would basically cause the, the um, wineskin to expand and to change shape and all these things. And if the wineskin wasn't soft and pliable then what would happen is it would burst. So it's a really simple story that that Jesus is sharing here, this analogy. Because what happens is, and we can often, I've always looked at it and thought, it's old people and young people. Like, come on, old people need to get on board with the young people. But but actually, it's not about age or, or time. It's about softness of heart. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And we're, and we're sitting here, and when God says he wants to change our wineskin, it's not just to force us out of our comfort zone. He's changing our wineskin because he's preparing us for wine. It's the wine of his spirit. And some of us, we get stuck with a rearview mirror that's bigger than our windshield, and we're just thinking about, God, when are we going to get back to the old days? And God is saying, stop, stop, stop. I am doing something new. Sneaking in the back of a church and slipping out and doing this and doing that and not engaging at an authentic level and not, in, not experiencing the power and pleasure of God, is, 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 that is not a good normal. And that is not coming back to the church. It's like we get faced with this situation in life that is the furthest thing from persecution to what the early church felt. But we, we can kind of curl up and like just run for safety. But like the early church prayed for boldness. It's interesting, like we pray for safety, but, but we pray for that, but then we always maybe don't feel safe. And yet what we see is that when the early church prayed for boldness, the Holy Spirit moved on them. Just think, we're so nice. Hey, Canadians, we're so nice. But I would feel like I didn't step into everything God had for me if I just did my whole life putting coins in the poor man's hat. You know, there's the story when Paul was entering his ministry and he consulted with the other apostles. Like, they basically said, you know, we're, we're excited for you that, you know, you've been sent to these people, we've been sent to these people. All we ask is that you remember the poor. And it says, Paul says, which is the very thing that was, you know, dear to my heart. It's important to take care of the poor. What I'm saying in this is this, is that it is wonderful that we can pop coins in the poor man's hat. But God wants us to be able to look at the man and say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I actually think that the time that we're living in is a time for us to be bold. Isolation magnifies everything. 
And it's not just for us. It's for the world. I'm, I'm going through social media and people are like overtly posting about their pain and their hopelessness and their frustrations. Like it's so like overt. You know what they need? They need an overt gospel. thinking there's this story in jeremiah jeremiah 29 we all know the verse jeremiah 29 11 for i know the plans i have for you right all these things what's important to note is that when god is saying this to the israelites it's because they're about to go into exile for i know the plans is it, it's talking about the future right? For, it's, something is coming, something is coming. And it's kind of like our time. We can get stuck in what's going on, and we can just like be wondering about what's next, and we can sort of put life on hold. Does anyone know that feeling? You put life on hold. But what's interesting, if you look to the beginning of chapter 29, it's basically it says, you're going into exile. God is saying, look, there's 70 years of slavery coming upon you. And you think, if that's me, I'm 35, that puts me at 105. What, what, what's the point? Now what? But you know what God says through Jeremiah? He says this, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, get married, pray for the prosperity of the city, and if they prosper, you prosper. In other words, don't let the circumstance of life put your life on pause. God is calling his church to be a church of power. We are not on pause because of a situation that's taking place in our world. If anything, it's us. The righteous will be as bold as a lion. But the people that know their God will be strong and do mighty exploits for him. This is an opportunity where we are right now to actually be the hands and feet. To be the bold proclamation that God has called us to. To not be so generic in our encouragement. To be prophetic in our encouragement. You see, we, it's, we've, we're coming from a place, and for us, it's like, it's like the Logos word. It's the Logos word. Like, it's a written word. Like, I, I'm just going to be a person of principle. And God is saying, we don't hide behind principle. We live in the principles, but we are abiders in his presence. We don't follow a rule book. No. We keep in step with the Spirit. And the rule book gets filled out by accident. God wants a church of power. God wants us to live in a place of expectation. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Philip, or I think Philip, to be on a roof, have a trance, like he falls into a deep sleep and has a trance, and like God lowers the sheet and says, you know, like this is what's happening here. Like there's all these animals, and come on, go kill and eat. Never, Lord. You know, like I'm, I'm a God-fearing man, but 
then God says, don't call anything that I've made unclean. And then someone shows up at the door and says, like, someone else has had a vision about you and you need to come and you need to talk to them about this. And he goes to this house, Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, and, and he's just figuring this out. Right? He's just figuring this out. And he's thinking, like, is this okay? Like, this is, this is untraditional. But wasn't it Jesus who said, it's the traditions of man that have made the, the word of God of none effect. And now someone who reads that scripture and understands it now has to live it out. Okay, so what's going on? And he begins to share this message with, with people who are not Jews. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls. You can imagine how exciting that would have been. I don't know what's going on here, but the power of God is on people that shouldn't have it. What happens? A spirit-led man experiences a total paradigm shift in an instant. Some of us have been so stuck in the traditions of man, and God is wanting to shift and shake and break and reinstate our paradigm. I had a, something happened to me like a few weeks ago. This story, I shared it with the, with the guys, but <clears throat> we were over for, in Vancouver for a wedding. And um, I've experienced God use me prophetically, you know, like, in a few scenarios in life, not a whole lot. But when we were standing in this like wedding thing, preparing for this wedding, there was this guy who walked in. And the second he walked in, I just, I was looking at him and I could just sense the, the pleasure and affection of God for him. I didn't even know what to do. I was just standing there and I just, it was like, you know when God is, like you just feel the pleasure of God for someone and you don't know what to do with it. That was me, I didn't know what to do. And what happens is, we're just kind of standing there, and I just can't stop looking at him. I'm trying to say, like, God, like, what is going on here? I just, I, I, it's like I want to give him something, and I don't know what to give him. And I just had the most faint thing in my mind, which was um, he's on a new adventure, and it's one step closer to his destiny or his calling or something along these lines, you know. He's, he's in the right place at the right, something like this. And, and it was faint, and I didn't do anything with it. And we just kind of paired off you know, after a couple minutes, and I'm just like, you know, how's it going? You know, I'm Wes, nice to meet you, and all these things. And we're just chatting. I said, oh, like, what do you do for work? And he says, oh, actually, on Monday, I start a brand new position. It's like my, in a sense, first time leading. I'm leading a church. I've never done that before. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness me. And so I just said, I said, this is the craziest thing. I was standing there, and I experienced these things. But to walk away from that, for me, it was like, oh, my goodness me. It feels incredible to keep in step with the Spirit. Can I encourage you? Principle-based life is so much more boring than Spirit-led life. God has called you to be a Christ follower in the power of His Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wes. Could I have the worship team come forward? I love the way that how Wes always challenges me, for sure. Thank you for that. I was just thinking about this um, in Acts 1, 7, and 8. Jesus says, um, these are his last words to the disciples. 
as he, after he says this, he ascends into heaven. And asking him, the question they ask him is, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says this, it's not for you to know the times of the, when are you going to, the times or the dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness. And um, that's exactly what happened in Acts 2. And we know that the, the, the disciples were born again when they saw Jesus Christ after the ascension and he breathed his spirit in them. So when we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but it's the Holy Spirit that comes upon us that empowers us, and that's what Wes has been talking about. And I just know many people are afraid because there's so many things out there. Well, is this counterfeit? Is it true? All of these kind of things. And, and it's interesting that uh, there's so many arguments about the power of God. And I was just thinking about it as uh, Wes was speaking in, uh, in Acts 11, where he speaks about it. He actually speaks into the context of what Wes is talking about. And he says here, please read the, um, the, the, the entire passage, but from verse 9 it says, So he said, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and it will be fine. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And for everyone who receives, um, it, who everyone asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Now this is the key. Which one of you fathers, if, you, if your son asked you for a fish, will give him a snake? Instead, or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If then, and then he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven, and this is the key, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, he will not give us a counterfeit. If we're asking God to pour out his Spirit upon us, and he begins to move that and things start to happen. And why will we doubt that he would give us something to harm us? And as we said something tonight about the, the priesthood of all, all believers, and the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness is not a few superstars, as he mentioned, or some great worship. The greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers, all of us, walking in the authority and the power and the anointing that God puts us through our late day, daily lives. Yes, God wants to speak to us, God wants to fill us, but He wants it to flow through us. He wants us to impact the nations, and and I know there are people nervous out there, out there even right now, and. These are different times. But you know, in Acts 17, Paul is in Mars Hill, and uh, he's um, speaking there to philosophers and so on, and he says this in Acts 17, verse, uh, sorry, I'm trying to look here, verse 17, for he says this, that God determines the exact time and place that we should live. For in Him we live and move 
and have our being. And He determines this so that through us men will perhaps reach out and find Him. For in Him we move and live and have our being. So we are not here by accident. We have been placed here for this time, for this season. We are the people. And Jesus is not biting his nails in heaven, not wondering what's happening in the world. He is fully in control. And he has chosen to work, work through us. And the greater things that we can do is in very that there's more of us. We're more of us than one person, Jesus. And we have the same authority and power to lay our hands on the sick and see them healed, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel with power. And can you imagine, can you imagine, church, when we truly get this and we truly believe this and understand that church was never meant to be a weekly event. It was never meant to be like a spectator sport. These are places where we come together. These are places where we come to be encouraged and challenged so that we can go from here and be the salt in life. And I tell you, it's coming, church. God is going to pour out His Spirit in powerful ways again. And we can choose to be a part of that. And as we worship now for a little while, I'm just going to pray if you could please stand and, and invite the Holy Spirit to come. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is never meant to be one and one-time event. It's a continued infilling as we begin to drink of His Spirit. And I'm just going to pray right now for the Holy Spirit to begin to move in our midst. I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, come. We invite you into our hearts and in our lives. We open our hands and we open our hearts. And even now, I pray for a fresh outpouring upon us, Lord. For a boldness and a fearlessness to represent you well, regardless of circumstance, Lord.